Welcome back, everybody, to Sports Talk as we kick it off on this Tuesday afternoon. Steve Kaplowitz with you, three hours of talking sports. And as you might imagine, uh, so much going on baseball-wise with the Miami Marlins. In fact, uh, they're done until next Monday. And the baseball schedule has been completely uh, flexed and and reorganized uh, thanks to what went down over the weekend. So here to talk a little bit about it with us and start it off, a man you hear quite often on uh, the Dan Lebitard Show here on 600 ESPN El Paso. He's Greg Cody from uh, the Miami Herald, sports columnist, and he he joins us to kick things off today. Greg, first off, uh, I appreciate you uh, coming on with us to begin the show, and I think that uh, your column yesterday talking about the Marlins story and how it's become a scary lesson for all of sports on trying to play in a pandemic is so fitting with what's happened since you published this yesterday, especially with baseball uh, acting uh, and, and changing the schedule uh, like they did here earlier this afternoon. Yeah, it's, um, you know, the, the Marlins are a young rebuilding team and They've been real eager to uh, to start making national headlines again, but not like this. That's for sure. Um, it's you know it, it's an embarrassment to the franchise and, and to baseball, no doubt about that. Um, you know whether whether most of these guys contracted COVID nineteen from carelessness or just from doing everything right and having bad luck, we we don't know all of that yet. But plainly, uh, they're now Exhibit A for. What can go wrong when you try to play games in the middle of a pandemic? We know about a lot of different parts of the country and where they stand right now. What's Miami like in terms of just uh, cases daily and, and, and what you're having to deal with right now in terms of COVID? Yeah, all of South Florida is a hot spot. Uh, Miami and, and um, I live just to the north of Miami in, in Broward County, which is the Fort Lauderdale area. And and that's nearly as bad as Miami is. So the, the South Florida area in general is a real hot spot. And the Marlins are right in the middle of this. And, you know, so are the Dolphins and the Miami Hurricanes who uh, are planning to play football seasons and travel and everything. And that's the scary part is that baseball is traveling. You know, the, as you know, hockey and basketball and soccer are all in a bubble. Uh, but baseball's traveling and f- football plans to travel, and that's that's where the scary part comes in. Don Mattingly, the ma- the manager, basically said, you know, we were doing fine during uh, spring training 2.0 here, but once we hit the road, it got scary. And um, and man, that's a that's a dangerous prospect uh, for baseball and football moving forward. It really is now. MLB has these player pools that they've put together, and a lot of them are minor leaguers, developmental players, but some of them are fringe guys that ultimately have you know double and triple A experience. I was looking at what went down with the Marlins, and I was interested to see if baseball was going to ask Miami to field a team with guys that were just in their complex that ultimately might not have the same experience but could have gone ahead and put on Miami Marlins uniforms to play this week but they chose instead to to ground the team completely until they have enough time from their negative tests to play. Do you like the move by baseball, or do you think they should have reached into the Marlins player pool and, and as long as they tested negative, had them out there playing? Well, I, I think the Marlins, even though you know some of this is of their own fault, I think the Marlins deserve to be able to field as competitive a team as possible. I don't mind what 
baseball did. And, and also you have to factor in that, uh, you know, the Washington Nationals were going to come down here for a Friday through Sunday series that's now been postponed. And Nationals players voted that they don't want to come to Miami right now, and I don't blame them. Uh, <laughs> those of us living down here don't necessarily want to come to Miami right now. So, uh, it, you know, it's just a, it's a scary situation all around. Absolutely. Greg Cody joining us uh, here on Sports Talk from the Miami Herald as we continue on the show. Now, do you feel that if players, um, when they come into Miami to play the Marlins, isolate in the hotel, they don't go out, they don't do anything like that, they, they stay put, and they just they play the games for, for three, four days, however long the series will be, or two days, and then leave, that it's safe? Do you feel as if Miami can still host games the way the schedule is designed to? Well, they can, and, and teams all around the major leagues can, but here's the reality. When you're traveling, when you're in a, in a, a jet airliner and, and you're walking through an airport and you're walking through hotels uh, and going to stadiums, even empty stadiums, uh, and, and you're around a team, you know, you, you can have all the health and safety protocols uh, you possibly can, and, and you can even adhere to them, but it still doesn't uh, reduce... It reduces, but it certainly does not eliminate the risk. Uh, and we've also seen in other sports with, uh, you know, the L.A. Clippers, Lou Williams saying he was going to a funeral and being photographed in a strip club to get out of the bubble. Um, you know, we see examples in other sports where it's it's very difficult for these uh, young athletes with plenty of money uh, to contain themselves in a bubble or in quarantine or in hotels, uh, you know, so it's just, it, it's a situation fraught with uh, possible problems. Greg, I asked this question yesterday on the show. I'll ask you the same thing. If you had to give me a percentage chance that Major League Baseball gets through this season and, and, and the playoffs and is able to, to do it successfully without having to cancel or, or postpone things, what would you say that is right now? Oh, wow. Um, you know what? A week ago, I might have said 65%. Uh, now, um, I think it's certainly less than 50%, um, and, and maybe much less than 50%. I love what um, the Washington Nationals manager said in the wake of um, what's been happening with the Marlins. He said that on a scale of 1 to 10, uh, his uh, worry and anxiety about this whole thing has gone from an 8 to a 12. So he's gone from being pretty concerned uh, at the start, to now being extremely concerned, and and he referred to himself as being scared of this situation, and and he should be, um, because it's nothing to mess with, it's nothing to play around with, and you know when when Rob Manford, the, the MLB commissioner, says he doesn't consider this to be a nightmare, he's wrong, uh, and if what's happening in Miami is not his nightmare, then uh, it, it sure better be high on the list. Do you think we're going to get to a point where baseball mandates masks being worn by both teams during the game? Do you think we could get to that point before they eventually uh, decide to, to, to halt the season if we get more and more cases that are positive? Yeah, it, it could happen. Um, you know, if, um, if Anthony Fauci starts stepping in and stepping up and, um, and saying things like masks should be worn, I think it, but you already see examples of some guys voluntarily wearing masks, and um, I think that could be one of the things that could happen uh, for sure. Um, I'm not saying it will, but uh, 
if they're hell-bent on continuing this season uh, with travel, they're going to have to really cinch up uh, the measures that eliminate the possibility of other teams uh, going through what Miami's going through. No doubt. And you look at the ripple effect. I mean, you know, the Phillies, for now, have tested negative, which is really good. They were supposed to play the Yankees, but that's been scrapped. And now the Yankees are going to go play Baltimore, um, which is is real interesting. And, you know, um, it's, again, shows you what is, you know, how the baseball season could just be flexed. And I guess as long as you have no fans – you can just go continue to make changes, cross out games, and, and just add new ones if that's the way it needs to be. Yeah, I mean, there, there, there has to be any number of things on MLB's plate right now, and one of them is, is having a season reduced even from 60 games, um, considering uh, there, there could be another spike in coronavirus cases in the fall, according to what science uh, is suggesting. And, and one of the things, I wrote another column on this today because, it, it, this is one of these things that's more than just a Miami story and, and warrants, I thought, two columns in a row on this. And what I said in my latest column is that we're, we're seeing a domino effect here, uh, and I don't think it's coincidental. Once, you know, once the Marlins go through what they're going through, we're seeing today that in NFL, uh, there are already dozens of players who have opted out, um, and, and the list is growing fast. It includes, last time I looked, six members of the New England Patriots. So you're going to see more baseball players opting out. Uh, I don't know about the bubble guys who, who feel like they're insulated, but uh, if, if I were a Major League Baseball player, an NFL player, or a college football player right now, I'd be giving some serious thought about uh, what I should be doing. I agree with you completely. And then there's also the, the possibility of high school sports around the country. I don't know how much you've been following Texas, but you know they've delayed now the start of the season until the end of September. And you got to think that if college and, and the pros don't end up playing until a vaccine is available or until a later date, you got to wonder how high school sports is going to be able to play football around the country. Well, I, I totally agree. And I don't have to tell you that uh, the Miami area um, – Texas area, Dallas, I guess, Fort Worth particularly, Houston, um, and California, L.A. area and California, those are the three, uh, you know, real hotbeds for producing NFL talent. So uh, high school football is huge down here. And, um, and we've also delayed the start of the high school football season and should, you know, because the adults, um, the professional adults uh, can make their own decisions. But we're talking about 15, 16 17-year-old kids, uh, they should not be put in harm's way uh, just for the sake of a football season going on. I agree with you. And you even said it at the end of your column that sports could have said that they're not taking the risk and instead just shutting things down in 2020 and, and going to deal with within 2021. They haven't. And as much as some people are looking at, you know, the baseball season is finally you get live sports back, something to watch other than golf and, and auto racing and soccer for that matter. Um, you got to be smart about it and, and you got to do the right thing. And, I'm with you. If baseball after four days has already seen one major outbreak and it happens to involve the Miami Marlins, you got to figure how is the NFL with large rosters and, and the contact that they go through going to be able to somehow get a season that regardless of how many games they play, how are they going to avoid a, a massive outbreak? Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with you. And, and I think right now the, you know, the, the, the country needs leadership 
uh, in, in getting over this coronavirus, and sports is in a position to lead. And I think if, if MLB reacts to what's happening by saying, look, we shouldn't be playing games in a pandemic. Uh, we need to treat this more seriously, just like the country needs to treat this more seriously so that this isn't, you know, they're already talking about the, the postponed 2020 Tokyo Olympics now being in jeopardy of even starting next year. This could be something that, that drags sports down for the foreseeable future uh, this fall and into 2021 if, as a nation, we don't start treating this more seriously. And sports is in a position to lead on that front. Greg, what's the pulse like in Miami right now with just the sports fans that you talk to and listen to on a daily basis? Uh, are they right now like you in favor of shutting things down, or do they want to try to see everybody get through it and, and figure out a way to play? Yeah, I think um, I think sports fans think like sports fans, and uh, and they're happy to watch games on TV. Uh, they're looking forward to the Heat and the Panthers playing and uh, starting back up on August 1st, which I think is this Saturday. Um, so I don't think many football fans would, would <laughs> favor shutting down the season. But uh, I, I think as, as a journalist, um, as, as a, a commissioner, as, as somebody who can be a little more, um, think a little bit less passionately, uh, you, you have to look at the safety and health first. You know, you, you can't, I mean, I don't have to tell you that having sports back gives us a diversion it, it lifts the spirit of a country that needs its spirit lifted and all that stuff and that's well and good but you you can't put your players and coaches and their families uh, at risk just for the sake of your sports economy it's just it doesn't feel right to me check out greg cody's latest uh, column as miami marlins outbreak worsens sports should rethink playing at all again in 2020 it's up right now at miami herald Com. Greg, appreciate the time. Thanks for kicking us off today, and uh, look forward to the next uh, time we get a chance to chat. Anytime. Thanks. From Greg right to your phone calls as well as your tweets. Uh, stay with us, folks. A lot more in store for you as Adrian and I take you through uh, a Tuesday here on Sports Talk. But first, let's get out to Charlie One and get our first traffic update of the afternoon. Charlie, how are we doing today? Hour two of three underway. Welcome back, everybody. Along with Adrian Broadus, I'm Steve Kaplowitz. Sports Talk continues right here. 600 ESPN El Paso. So for the last two weeks, UTEP football head coach Dana Dimmel has joined us. We've gone position by position, getting you up to speed on the 2020 minors. Coach has not just given us the two deep. He's gone mostly three, four, five, six deep at each spot. And it's all come down to today wrapping up each and every position that we've talked about. Coach, good to have you back on the show. How are you today? It's great to be on. I was on my uh, at the workout this morning, and uh, while the guys are working out on the 6.30 workout, I walk around the field, and I was thinking, okay, what's going to be my walk-up song today? What are they going to play for me today? So a little rolling stones. I love it. Good stuff. Yep. <laughs> Satisfaction. Something yes. that I know you, the coaching staff, and the fans, you all want satisfaction starting this year, don't you? No doubt. No doubt. For all the hard work these guys have put in, you know, it's for the players more than anything that you want them to start to reap the benefit of, of hard work and to see the light at the end of the tunnel. You know, that's what's important for me as a ball coach. So I've been there and 
had some great experiences, and I want these guys to experience it. You know, there's nothing like uh, Coach Cox and I were talking about, nothing like sitting around on a Saturday evening or Saturday afternoon after a nice victory, you know, at a tailgate, just hanging out talking about the ball game. So we got to have some of those. We've had lots of those together, and we got to have some more going forward. It's been about 15 years since the Price era arrived here, and minor fans had two eight-win seasons in a row and sold out Sun Bowls and tailgates that was going all through the weekend and a crazy atmosphere, which tells me this. It can happen. It can be done. It's just getting to that point where you can turn the corner. And yep. if it's if it was an easy thing to do, then we wouldn't be talking about a program that struggled for the last fifty years trying to get to that spot. Yep, and it's not easy. There's no doubt. Nothing's easy, and it just comes through hard work and a great game plan and staying patient and diligent to the game plan. You know, as a head coach, and the good news cap is the reason I'm here is because I've been through this before. You know, and I've been a part of it, and it takes a it takes a stern discipline, you know, to stay the task and, and, to, and to stay stay on course and keep your guys on course. And so you can't, you can't uh, waver. You know, you got to know what works. You've seen it work and stay, stay true to what you believe in and know that, that it's proven through many, many years and through different settings. And so that's what we're doing right now, and it's fun. It really is enjoyable. And I just can't wait for these guys to get a couple of those victories and they just boom, and all of a sudden they – Say yeah, this is what you. This is how you win, and and then they turn the corner, and it's such a fun, you know, fun thing to be a part of. So I wanted so much for the whole city of El Paso, uh, and and the whole UTEP athletic program. Was there ever a temptation for you when you first got the job a couple of years ago to try and go for a quicker fix and turn the team's fortunes around faster than what's been for you the uh, you know the traditional four to five year rebuild like you've stayed true to? You know, it was the, the plan. You know, when when Jim and I visited, you know, it was a big part of the plan. Is that Jim's been around college football? his whole life just like I have, and he understands it. And so he knows that it takes time. And so that was what we had to do is had to build it the right way and put it together and, and put the pieces of the foundation together and really try to build from, from the bottom up. And so it's been nice to, you know, to try to do it that way because the other way, just quick fixes, is obviously just what it is, a quick fix, and, and you're just patching things together. And so – you know, I feel like as we go into year three, we just got, you know, so much more depth and athleticism. And so we've started to really build it. Now we just got to continue to, to to build it and start getting some wins. That's the fun part, you know, Cap. But it's nice. It's It's been it's been good to, to, to know how it's supposed to be done and to have, you know, leadership that allows you to do that. How hard is the mental transformation of a football team? that's used to losing games, whether it's close games, whether it's blowouts, especially if you play well early, fall behind, and then try to convince this team, you know what, we can still pull this out. You got to don't just think like last year or two or three that, oh, here we go again. How tough tough is it for you to get a team mentally to where they don't fall apart and, and feel like it's the same thing that they've had to go through these last few years? It's uh, it's it's the hardest thing that you got to do is to get the kids to 
to really understand the feeling of winning and what it takes to win, but to get in those crucial moments in a ball game and, and the game's on the line. And it's, and, and I've talked, you know, I've talked to him about it and I've, and I saw it last year. It's such a fine line for us right now to turn the corner. And it's just, you know, there's some games where, I, where we're sitting right there and we're just right there and the kids just got to get over that hump. And it comes through your, everything you do, it comes through the discipline. You know, it starts with what you do in the classroom, Cap. And I know, I'm not, I mean, I'm truly believe it. It starts with what kind of discipline you have with the things you do in your life. And it starts with your commitment to your life off the field. And then all of a sudden you start doing the things that it takes to win ball games and, and it just happens for you. It really does because it's discipline and it's character and it's the mental fortitude and the mental toughness that a team builds. And then they get that taste and they, and they, and they just go with it. And so that's what building a culture. That's when you hear coaches talk about building a culture. And that's what building a culture means. It means starting with strong discipline in your program and doing things the right way off the field. And then, and then it just happens on the field. It really does. I've seen it. We, we did it that way. Uh, you know, and, and we were always known at K State. We're always known as the t- as the most disciplined, toughest team on the field, and it was a great feeling. No one ever out toughed us or out disciplined us, and and uh, and you know, so so I know what it takes, and we're just in the process of putting that together. At the same time, you really don't have any idea until September fifth when that first game comes around against Texas Tech, when you can put all this work, whether it's off-season conditioning, spring ball, and individual workouts, and then eventually fall camp into the season, that's when we'll really get a better handle of uh, how this goes. Exactly. You don't know. Your personality, your team takes its shape right there, and then you hope that your toughness and your leadership starts to really take take ground and, and you find ways to win win football games, you know? And um, we put ourselves in some position to win some games last year and couldn't seem to quite, you know, get that done. And so this is the year to, to get ourselves in position and, and, and start winning those ball games. Dana Dimmel with us uh, here on Sports Talk. We're wrapping up uh, what has been a couple of weeks' worth of us uh, getting a chance to talk uh, about the Miners' 2020 season, which, as we all know right now, uh, a lot can happen over the next few days and few weeks. We keep hearing that the ACC might announce as early as tomorrow. The SEC and Big 12, they're going to wait a little while longer. But as far as Conference USA goes, you really won't know your fate until all five power fives have announced exactly how they're going to handle the 2020 season no doubt no doubt because and obviously a lot of teams in our league are very dependent on what the acc is going to do uh i think we have maybe seven or eight non-conference games against the acc we had a couple versus the big 10 and we have some versus we have a few versus the sec but utep we have two you know we're in a whole different ballpark because we have two against Big 12 opponents, you know, and so it's very, very important for us on what what direction the Big 12 goes with their non-conference games. Has Do any other schools in Conference USA have Big 12 uh, opponents, or are you really the only one this year? No, there's, a, there's other schools that have them as well, but we're the only one with two. Okay, that's what I thought. Yep. All right, so as you wait for all of this to, to fall into play over the next few days and weeks, we've got one position left, Coach, and, and I know we're not going to get a chance to finish this um, before the, uh, the end of the segment. In fact, 
I'm up at a break in about two to three minutes, so I can do one of two things. We can start it and then come back and continue after the break, or I can break a little early, and then we can come back and devote uh, the next 15 to 20 minutes to the quarterback spot. What would you like to do? Uh, We'll go ahead and and break early. How about a trivia question? Who was on deck when Hank Aaron hit his 715th home run? Ooh, I like that one. Since I said Hammer and Hank was my favorite player. You guys, so when uh, Adrian and just talked Hank, about him. Adrian just talked about him. Well, the answer the, then would be the, Dusty Baker. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's funny uh, that you brought up Dusty because I went to spring training about 30 years ago. I used to go watch uh, a lot of uh, spring training games with my family. And one of the cards I have is a 1973 Dusty Baker, Atlanta Braves card, autographed by Dusty. Because back nice. then, he was, uh, he was playing for the Giants. He wasn't even, uh, he wasn't even a manager yet. Uh, in, I think it was around 90 or 91. He was, still, he was wrapping up his career. Yeah. What number was he for the Braves? Uh, that's a good question. I would say, was he number 12? You nailed it. Nice job. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Uh, very nice. Look at you. Look at you with obscure uh, Dusty Baker Atlanta Braves trivia. I like that, Coach. Go. I like the it. Early, the Braves, when they weren't winning, you know, before everybody jumped on the bandwagon. By the way, I still say that the Braves jerseys from the 70s, those yep. blue jerseys with the white sleeves and Braves with the red trim, some of the yep. coolest, that, that's some of the best-looking jerseys you'll find anywhere. Those are old school. Those are great. No doubt about it. Yeah. Not many wins in those you, jerseys, but they were pretty cool. <laughs> ah, you had some good players. Look at it that way. Yeah. So no doubt. All right. We'll come back. Yep. We're going to continue our conversation with coach. We'll get to the quarterback spot. We'll do the full analysis and wrap this one up in a moment. But first, before we continue with coach Dimmel, let's go to Charlie one. He's standing by with a traffic update. 18 past the hour. As we continue here on sports talk. All right. UTEP head football coach Dana Dimmel's with us. He's thrown some great Dusty Baker trivia at us. By the way, Dusty was, uh, I, I was incorrect. I said he was wrapping up his career with the Giants. He was actually, he was a coach back in the uh, late 80s, early 90s for the Giants. He, he was part of Roger Craig's staff, and then I think he took over manager around 93 or so, which is the first time he managed. But um, good piece of trivia quiz, I li- a question. I like that on, uh, on Dusty. So now... Coach, we got a segue. We got a segue from the Braves in the 1970s to your quarterback position. What a what a radical transition we have. <laughs> Who would ever thought, right? What a great transition. That's right. That's right. right? I love it. I love it. Uh, super excited about our youth at our quarterback position. I really am. Um, you know, it starts with Gavin Hardison. And, you know, Gavin, obviously, we – Saved his year last year and and got you know redshirted him but got to got to play him a little bit and you know obviously threw him into the wolves against the best team in our league UAB and um, you know felt like that was a good experience for him to get a lot of reps in that game and and I've said this you know uh, Coach Clark for UAB has come to me and it's been so you know very complimentary of of what uh, Gavin did in that game. You know, from a coaching perspective, of of he can really see just like I can what kind of potential he has to get thrown into that kind of a situation in his first you know Division One experience, and he 
against the you know best defense in our league and 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 coach Clark even said hey yeah I can see why you're excited about the future of this guy for where he was thrown into and how he responded um as we all know great arm strength um really has gotten himself a lot more uh athletic and quick right now through uh, he's gotten much much quicker through the off season put on a few pounds he looks really good you know, obviously we didn't want to play him much last year because we felt like he needed the year to, to get himself ready. And so we're really excited about what he brings to the table. And then T.J. Goodwin was a young man that we recruited out of Houston that, you know, a very tall, athletic, super intelligent uh, young man that, you know, th- we think is just going to continue to grow in our program. And so both of those guys got three and four years of eligibility left, and they'll just get better and better as they get more and more repetitions. You know, obviously, with what's gone on across our country, they haven't had the chance to get as many repetitions as you would like for them to get physically, but they've sure prepared themselves mentally and they've prepared themselves physically as far as their conditioning and that sort of thing goes. So those two guys are, you know, a big part of our future. Calvin Brownholtz is a guy that's been in our program as a gray shirt and then a red shirt, and so he's got some age on him. He, you know, he looks good right now. I think he can do some things. I like his athleticism. I really, truly like his athleticism. I talked to him today about how he can really help our football team if he provides some ability uh, and some uh, versatility to what we're doing uh, with his athleticism. So he's definitely in the mix to get some reps for us in certain styles of offense that we can run. And he's a gym rat, as I always say about him. He works really hard on getting better. Isaiah Bravo is another young man in our program that, you know, has been with us and, and has a chance to give us, you know, you never know. It's so funny. I was talking to somebody today that was in another program, a recruit, and uh, or yesterday, I should say, and he was the fifth-string quarterback in a, in, a, in a program in high school. And he was telling me, you know, I'm a young freshman or whatever, and I'm fifth string, and before you know it, I'm out on the field playing as a as a freshman. And, uh, you know, it's so funny how you can get down so fast at that position. And so, you know, it's important to develop as much depth as we can right there. And then we brought in Marco Balicino, a young man from Northern California, into our uh, quarterback position this summer. And we're developing him and trying to get him ready. And then uh, we got a local product from El Paso High School, Zach Rodriguez, that's going to be in our program, you know, uh, this fall. And so we're proud of Zach, and I think Zach can do some some neat things. He can throw the ball really well. He looks better and better every time I see him. He's not working out with us yet, but he will be here, you know, shortly. And uh, when we start up in the, in, in the fall, and so in once school starts, so. I'm just so looking forward to watching these quarterbacks get better and better with with each and every rep that they get. And it's nice to have good young quarterback talent in the program. Is that six that we ju- that you just talked about a moment ago? Yes, that's six. Yep, that's what I thought. Now, last season, Gavin Hardison had a little action at the end of the year. We didn't really see T.J. Goodwin. Um, you had seniors last year. You had uh, a pair of them, and uh, Kyle Loxley was one. Brandon Jones was the other. They um, went healthy 
played significant minutes. Did you feel that was the goal for you last year to try to give Goodwin and Hardison three games each, which would have been the maximum that you could have redshirted? Or did you feel that for just the most part, they, they weren't ready to get that kind of action that, that uh, they, they could have had last year as far as their development? They weren't ready. You know, Kat, they weren't ready. And I don't, and, and, uh, Gosh, I've witnessed it. I've been coaching for a long time. I've witnessed guys get thrown in the fire before they're ready. I mean, a name comes the example right into my mind right now at a very high level where I was really close to the situation. Someone got thrown into the fire way too early, uh, and when the talent around him wasn't good enough to protect him, and uh, it really ruined his confidence moving forward and was really – devastating to his whole career and so i've seen that up close and 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 i know what it can do to a quarterback's confidence and so i wasn't wanting to do that um for obvious reasons because i've seen it and i know what it does to young players confidence and i didn't want to do that to our young quarterbacks and uh you know we threw gavin into the game against uab on the road you know and obviously on a team that was still you know in a transitionary phase and so he handled it really, really well, but I didn't want to do that. But because of Brandon's injury, we were kind of, you know, forced our hand a little bit. He responded well, but I was trying to hold him back, you know. And uh, same thing with TJ. And and uh, so there's a lot that goes into it that, you know, knowledge and experience plays a big part of my decision-making. When I saw Hardison at the Sun Bowl late last season, I saw the arm on display. I know accuracy wasn't where he or you would have liked it, at least yet, early on. The only thing that I was looking at was the footwork, and, and it just didn't seem like he was ready yet uh, to, to move out of the pocket. Now, you mentioned that you've seen him work on his quickness and his footwork um, since last season. So that's the question that I would love to know is, do you think Gavin Hardison will be more of that prototypical pocket passer and that type of passing quarterback? Or do you envision him as somebody that would be able to get out, throw on the run, and, and even run with the football if need be? Yeah, exactly. exact great way to put it, Cap, is that um, I think how we use Gavin is exactly what you touched on. We use him as a pocket passer, okay, but I feel like he's really developed an ability to throw on the run, does not struggle with it at all right now today, not a bit. I'm plenty athletic enough uh, to throw on the run and plenty athletic enough to run when the opportunity presents himself. Presents itself. Now, is he going to be the guy to get back there and run quarterback power and quarterback ISO and you know quarterback split zone? No. And do we, want, do we need him to do that? No. Right, I mean, I don't want to do that with him. You don't need to do that with him. But it, but when the opportunity presents itself to run a quarterback draw, or to break contain, or to pull it down, when the defense gives you the opportunity and run on a scramble, he will look really, really good this year doing it. It won't. He'll look the part doing it. I really feel comfortable with that part of it. And um, and the same thing with TJ. You know. So, but they're not guys that are going to just line up there and be, you know, quarterback run game guys per se. But, again, we've done it many different ways in, in, in the offenses that I've been involved with. So it's not, 
we we make the offense fit the personnel that we have, and then but we don't want to lose that segment of what we do because adding one into the into the run game with what we can do with our quarterback run game has been something that I've been around and been involved with for a long, long time, and it brings a lot to the table. So we got to find ways to do that, whether it's another running quarterback to throw into the mix, A, or B, running all of our Wildcat stuff. But we do it so well, and we know it so well, we can't get away from that either as part of what we do. Hardison has a cannon for an arm. So my question is, you and offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach Mike Canales, how do you get a guy like this to develop a, a bit of a of a short game where he doesn't have to zip the ball in a thousand miles an hour and instead can take a little off the ball, but still, because of that arm strength, add some touch to it so he's right. able to essentially harness that arm and be able to deliver the short, accurate passes as well as the deep throws? Right. That's how. That's his development. That's one of his phases as a quarterback to develop is how to understand the finesse part of the game, right? You don't have to strong arm every throw, and you don't have to hold your weight back and trigger every throw. Some of the throws are timing throws where you can lead the receiver and you, can put, you don't have to put a lot of velocity on it, and that comes with experience again, you know. So last year, you know, Gavin was in that – you know, doing some of those things because, again, he was not, you know, not ready for prime time and not maybe in the best situation with the surrounding talent that was around him, you know. And so all that's part of the development. And um, But that's a, that's a great point, Cap. He's got to develop the whole skill set, which is, you know, you got a guy wide open five yards from you, just lead a nice soft pass to him and let him catch it and run with it. And that's all part of his development with his game. Bottom of the hour as we continue here on Sports Talk. We'll have Adrian's questions, more with Coach, even a question on Twitter coming in for Coach. But first, let's go right now to Adrian Broadus and get this bottom of the hour Sports Center update. All right, Adrian, thank you very much. And since uh, you're on fire with Sports Center, why don't you just keep it going with some questions for the coach? Hey, Coach, I just wanted to ask you, you know, eight different starters at quarterback since 2015. So this program is used to shuffling of quarterbacks. Do you want to stick with one guy theoretically or be flexible to to the point where you can, inco- uh, you know, incorporate various starters throughout the season? Oh, great point. Yeah. Um, you, I don't have a philosophy that way. You know, obviously, if you got one guy that's doing really, really well, and that's who you're going to stick with, right? And that's that's the best thing to have is a guy that's doing so well that you don't have to shuffle, right? But the, the trouble is when you see that, when there's lots of shuffling going on, that's because you haven't had the success that you want to have, right, And at that position. And so for me, I'd like to get one guy and one guy that does it and does it well and you keep him healthy and he's able to play. And that's where you get success. You get success when – one player is doing it, and he stays healthy, and he runs your team, and he's the leader on your team, and every everybody migrates to him, and he stays on the field, and he leads your team, you know, on and off the field, and that's what I'd like to get to, Adrian, obviously, but it's got to come through performance and health. Aaron Jones was here over the summer, and he was talking about working out with some of the uh, UTEP teammates over the offseason, and he talked especially about T.J. Goodwin. And what impressed Aaron was T.J.'s confidence. How is How close do you think T.J. Goodwin is to breaking through and maybe earning playing time moving forward? Oh, I think he's heavily in the mix, absolutely. You know, I think he's heavily in the mix. 
we want him to be heavily in the mix. He's a you know young quarterback for us in our system, and the more he develops, the more our program develops. So we want TJ to continue to you know improve and be a great leader, and he's got so many of the intangibles that it takes to be a great quarterback. So he's a you know a big part of our future. So we want him to do you know extremely well and. And uh, he sure prepares himself, and he sure is very uh, qualified to, to in, as far as his intelligence goes and his knowledge. He just tries to expand it all the time. So, you know, him and Gavin both are just, like I said, young guys in our program that can be positive force for us if they continue to, to develop. Last one for me, Coach. Uh, Lauren Goodwin made uh, made. Uh, t- she was kind of viral on social media after she made a one-handed catch over TJ. And uh, first off, have you seen that video? And then second off, have you contacted Oklahoma State to see if she has any eligibility as a, pot- a potential wide receiver? Gee, she looks super athletic. I'll tell you that. My goodness gracious, I I saw that. And I'm like that whole family's so athletic, and it goes throughout their. Uh, their whole gene pool they've just got a bunch of athletes in that family and it was that was a fun video but yeah she uh yeah we could use her as a receiver for sure she's she could make some plays for us it's impressive stuff alexa on twitter uh at westside underscore 915 uh, tweeted the show about 10 minutes ago coach do we have a quarterback challenge this year or do we already have a front runner starting quarterback for utep there's never a front, you know. There's never a starter named until we go through the preparation of fall camp, right? And just see how fall camp goes and who's got themselves ready. And and uh, I'd really, really want to name a starter. Okay, I want to, but it's got to happen through performance. And um, I want us to get to that because I feel like all the surrounding positions around our quarterback position are going to be immensely improved and so i want to be able to get somebody to step up and say we can be immensely improved at that position and so that's what i'm looking to to have accomplished by the time we get two weeks out of our first ball game well i'll say this about goodwin we know he got stronger during the off season he's already got a great arm you know if there's one thing about tj goodwin few people really talk about is the arm strength we we know that gavin hardison has one of the best arms people have ever seen but tj goodwin has another terrific arm you got two quarterbacks that could throw the deep ball yeah and they're just going to get better as time goes on those two are just going to get better and better and better, you know, and that's the thing that's exciting about them. They're both young, and they're just going to both keep improving. They both got a really good, uh, you know, urgency to them and the drive to get better. That's what I like. They're both very, very much driven to be, to be the best they can be, and so I'm very, I'm very proud of those two guys and excited about what the future brings for them. No doubt. Is Kelvin Brownholtz the sleeper? in this whole group because you know last year he trained with jordan palmer um he's got an uncle uh, billy volick who played in the nfl for nine seasons a lot of football in his blood uh, for just you know his family and yet here's a guy that's a red shirt sophomore he's 6'2 210 pounds nobody's talking about him but calvin brownholtz is probably um you know not far off from becoming part of the discussion if some things can go his way that's exactly right, and I, and I want him to stay locked into that. And I just got, you know, 
you know, obviously I do these shows fresh right from the walkthroughs that we're going through, and that was my conversation to Calvin, is that there's a lot you can bring to the table. I want to see you do it because I want to see you push, and I want to see you press, and I don't want you to get caught up into Gavin and TJ. And quarterbacks can't get caught up in all that stuff. they got to get caught up in their day-to-day performance, you know, because there's a lot of, of things that surround that position, a lot of hype that goes into that position. And uh, for me, I'm just sitting back and evaluating who's going to help us win the most football games, and that's the bottom line. And so each, each of those guys has got to keep pushing themselves, and we'll see who rises to the top. Competition's always good, and, and uh, they're going to have a lot better players around them. So it's their, 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 it's their responsibility to raise their game because I know our football team's going to be so much better at every position. So those guys got to raise their game and be great leaders on our football team. You're right, which is why, to be honest, I'm happy you saved quarterback for the end because it is, without a doubt, the biggest X factor for the 2020 season. You've got uh, deep running backs. You've got a couple of dynamic wide receivers. You've also uh, mentioned uh, you know, your tight ends you like. You've got, you've got an improved offensive line this year. Everything's lining up, but right now the biggest question mark is quarterback just because of lack of experience, which makes this season so interesting for you. Because if they develop faster than you expect, there could be many more wins in store for the Miners this season. Whereas if they're slow to develop or you have some issues along the way, it could be another very tough season for the Miners. No doubt. And we could be so much better at all the other spots, you know, and I know we will be. I just watch, you know, our defense, and I just feel like we're going to be so much more athletic on our defense. And I, I just watch them line up today. I'm like, gosh, Dan, there's tons of components here to be really good on defense. And our offensive line is so athletic and young, but athletic. And and uh, like you said, you talked about the other spots. It's just, you know, so that position's so crucial. But it is for every football team, and so. You know, that's going to be the X factor, like you said, for our football team this year. Do you feel comfortable rolling out a game plan to start the year that's not necessarily conservative-based? Because, you know, some people are going to say, well, you got to ease these guys into the role at quarterback. Do you feel that way, or do you feel like you can absolutely game plan for uh, these guys to go into the game and, and, and have your offense that you're going to be comfortable with for the whole season? Yeah, no, I feel that way for sure. But and, and I feel I feel it's really important to get the ball to our playmakers. You know, like you talked about, uh, we have some receivers that are really good football players. We have some we have gobs of running backs that are really really good football players. I mean, you look at our running back position. We've talked about it, unbelievable, and we got some young receivers that got a huge upside and some new receivers that we brought in that look like they can really bring some things to the table. And so I don't want to, I want to get the ball to those guys, you know, and so it's going to be the quarterback's job to facilitate that. And so that's going to be the key ingredient. How can we facilitate what quarterback does the best job of facilitating the ball to our playmakers? And that's how we're going to start our offense off is how do we get the ball in the hands of the guys that prepared themselves extremely hard and are, are really good football players, and that's going to be the job of the QBs. And so that's the that's what our offense is going to be morphed around, is getting the ball into the playmaker's hands. 
Jake Waters is your inside wide receivers coach, but he played quarterback at Kansas State and had some terrific seasons for you while you were the offensive coordinator. Although he's working with wide receivers, does Jake also take an expanded role and maybe mentor some of the young quarterbacks as well? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. They, you know, they got to look to him and, and know that he has great experience at winning football, and uh, he's been there and done it at a high level. And uh, they definitely need to listen and learn from everything he can bring to them as a coach. Uh, he's a very, very young, talented coach that studies the game and has a great, great desire to be better all the time, which he had as a player. And so he's taken that into his coaching career. And there's so much for these guys to, to be able to garner from him because he's been there and done it. You know, he's gone in and beat Oklahoma, you know, in Norman and, uh, done at a high level. And so that's what you want these young guys to be around is people that have had great success at a high level. And Jake definitely can be a mentor to them in that, in that respect. Final question. You mentioned uh, Zach Robinson uh, earlier in the conversation. Here's a guy that played on a winless team at El Paso High but impressed a lot of coaches around the city with his ability. And now that uh, you mentioned that uh, he's going to be coming on board, I think that's exciting because ultimately here's a a local product that could have the ability to try to work himself into a, a role to be competing for a job like this in years to come. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I see a lot in Zach. I really, truly do. He just uh, showed us a lot. And, you know, he really is excited about playing for the UTEP Miners. He's super excited about it. He wants to represent his hometown. Uh, and he's worked extremely hard. And, and he put, you know, he came to every camp we had. He, you know, showcased to me his skill set. And, uh, and I'm excited about what Zach can do in the future for us. Very nice. Well, 6'3", 107 pounds, 175 pounds. I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do for you as well. Coach, yep. it has been terrific. We appreciate the insight, uh, the conversation, and having you join us over the last couple of weeks to go position by position. This has really been uh, fantastic, I think, for, for all UTEP fans getting ready for the season. It's been great, Cap. appreciate you having me on. Uh, it's great. You know, I'll talk football as long as you give me a chance to do it, and and I appreciate having the opportunity to spend time with you guys. Absolutely. We'll look forward to talking to you during the season. Thanks again for, uh, for all the insight. Yeah, thanks, Cap. Appreciate it. Dana Dimmel, folks, head football coach of the Miners, as we continue 44 past the hour. Plenty more still to come. Stay with us. Patrick Shalvier is 15 minutes away. We'll talk to the uh, sportscaster from KFOX and CBS4 as we continue on 600 ESPN El Paso.